in the genre of what Claire yesterday called home front communication. In this case, anti-war protest through dress. I'm going to start with a short description of hippie dress and move into a discussion of Klinger, the cross-dressing character on the long-running popular American TV program, MASH. But first, okay. time great television themes actually it was the theme for the movie and and now I'm using up extra time okay, <laughs> okay. please okay so the Vietnam War affected American life politically socially and culturally it was undeclared and unpopular and it was attributed to the Cold War mentality of an older generation asking a younger generation of men to fight and using a compulsory draft rife with class and race issues Anti-war protests paralleled and fueled other radical movements of the time that challenged other repressive norms in the US, beginning with the civil rights sit-ins and student protest in the early 60s, and by the end of the decade, gay and women's liberation movements. These last two movements very specifically relating to sexuality and gender. Clothing, because it's so directly connected to the body, visibly registered protest in the late 60s and early 70s by questioning the binaries of male and female and the nature of sexuality. This was humorously illustrated in the musical Hair, when a psychiatrist asks a hippie who refuses to cut his hair whether he's attracted to men. The hippie replies, you mean if I'm a homosexual or something like that? Yes, says the psychiatrist, and the character replies, well, I wouldn't kick Mick Jagger out of my bed, but uh, I'm not a homosexual, no. <laughs> Though through dress, hippies and young people rejected the rigid conformity of their parents' generation by styling themselves in ways that challenged defined gendered roles and even sexual differentiation, as you can see in this contrast here. To paraphrase the novelist Angela Carter, clothes can be weapons, challenges, and visible insults. Mm -hmm. Young people bought and wore clothing from other countries, cultures, and eras to embrace a pandemic spirituality of borderless tribes in preference to their own country and its misguided policies. 
Long hair, beads and bandanas, headbands, fringe and denim, silks and velvets, loosened and flowing, it all erased boundaries of class and ethnicity, allowing unrestricted mobility physically and psychologically. By wearing work shirts, for example, students identified with the proletariat, instead of with their often more economically privileged backgrounds. People embroidered sailor pants and military jackets with flowers and peace symbols, changing its functions and meanings, hoping the government would do likewise. Indian cottons and feminine handiwork, such as crochet and applique, likewise eliminated the Western industrial technology deemed responsible for the nuclear threat. Even the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's costumes parodied military masculinity by being neon-colored and luxuriously satin uniforms worn only to make music in, or maybe do drugs. <laughs> Clothing worn by men was more feminine, romantic, or unisex, implying a genderless equality, as Rebecca Arnold writes, and by implication, the acceptance of different kinds of sexuality. Rudy Gernreich's futuristic fashions are part of this. Men seem to embrace femininity or abandon gendered dress at the same time that they rejected the masculine role of soldier. It was as if eliminating sexual difference would eliminate war. It is against this politicized social and sartorial background that I'm looking at the cross-dressing character, Corporal Maxwell Klinger, as played by Jamie Farr in M.A.S.H. M.A.S.H. was set during the Korean conflict of the early 50s, but ran from 1972 until 1983. Klinger literally embodies protest through dress by gender bending. And, the, and of course, this is a quiz. Can you find him here? <laughs> Jamie Farr has said that his cross-dressing was meant to be a visible affront to war, akin to the acerbic wisecracking of the doctors in M.A.S.H., Hawkeye Pierce, played by Alan Alda, and Trapper John, played by Wayne Rogers. But I propose that his cross-dressing character can connect to the struggle for gay and civil rights, among other protest movements of the time. The hippies, as well as the gay liberationists, as well as Klinger, all subverted gender identity through clothing to upset conventional power relationships in society. In this context, transvestism, however mild and comical, contributes to a breakdown of differentiation and meaning. As Marjorie Garber writes, cross-dressing represents category crisis because dress has historically been used to maintain social order through gender, and the military represents the paradigm of order. And as Garber points out, and this is my favorite thing that she talks about, is when the first class of women was admitted to the U.S. West Point Military Academy, the administration, after watching a co-ed dance of cadets, mandated that female cadets had to wear skirts to dances because it looked too homosexual for men and women to dance together wearing the same uniform. MASH subverted order. It featured the goings-on at the 4077 MASH unit, a mobile army surgical hospital in Korea. The series was based on a book and the 1970 film made from the book, a semi-autobiographical novel by Dr. Richard Hornberger, who had served in Korea which, like Vietnam, was undeclared and unpopular, and took the um, US military into the Asian continent. Piggybacking on the movie's success, the CBS TV network, in association with 20th Century Fox Studio, wanted to turn the novel and movie into a TV show. 
The producer Gene Reynolds asked Larry Gelbart, an ingeniously gifted comic writer who had worked on TV shows with Mel Brooks and Woody Allen, among others, to write the pilot for the show. Gelbart agreed with the understanding that the TV program, like the movie, would explore the macabre side of war and the awful ironies of doctors who repaired the wounded only to send them back out into battle with the possibility that this time they might not return at all. While the degree to which the show was actually about Vietnam is debated, Todd Gitlin in his book Inside Primetime, based on interviews with Gelbart, confirms MASH as a belated symbolic Vietnam set against the backdrop of Korea. The show purposefully used correct period details for Korea, like the helicopters, but the pilot episode begins, as you see here, Korea 1950, 100 years ago, immediately alerting the viewer to the imaginative context of the show, its metaphorical distance from Korea, and its ironic connection to other contemporary conflicts, such as Vietnam. Whether Vietnam or not, MASH was anti-war. And I recently spoke with Wayne Rogers, who starred in its first three seasons, and said that MASH categorically was anti-war and anti-authoritarian. Before MASH, the CBS network was known for an evening lineup that included the shows The Beverly Hillbillies, Hee Haw, Petticoat Junction, and Green Acres. Even the names tell you the kind of shows they were, nostalgic visions of rural white America. The network wanted to change its demographic, and a show like MASH was, was calculated to attract a younger, more urban and liberal audience, and no doubt a more lucrative one for advertisers. However, the CBS network president is quoted as saying, remember too that in 69, 70, and 71, this country was undergoing considerable sociological changes and points of view. He was talking about the youth revolt, about hippies and Woodstock and the anti-war movement. This was the 60s counterculture. It was against the military, big business, and the academy, all viewed as part of the crazy technocracy responsible for Vietnam. The lunacy of war had been central to Joseph Heller's 1961 World War II novel, Catch-22. The Catch-22 is that a person can be discharged from the army if they're crazy. But anyone wanting to be discharged from the army can't be crazy because it's sane to want not to be killed. In MASH, Klinger cross-dresses to get what was called a Section 8. A Section 8 means that you've been judged mentally unfit to serve. What made Klinger unfit to serve was the fact that he wore women's clothing. And homosexuality, which wearing women's clothing signified, was reason enough to be discharged from the army as mentally unfit. However, everyone knew that Klinger wasn't crazy, and he wasn't gay, and that his cross-dressing was a desperate attempt to be sent home. <laughs> All the rest of his behavior, he was clever, good-hearted, and an ingenious procurer of varied items, including the amazing array of women's clothing he amassed in the midst of Korea. <laughs> All of this made him a diligent soldier and reified his normality. An earlier suggestion by writers to make him effeminate was rejected, and apart from his outfits, Farr played Klinger as a regular heterosexual guy. The ways that the other military personnel responded to Klinger in a dress also showed their casual acceptance of Klinger's ploy, as for example when Hawkeye tells him he needs a slip under his dress. Klinger appeared as a guest star for the first time in the fourth episode of the first season on guard duty, wearing a skirt and pumps. But by the fourth season, 
After having made numerous appearances, he became a regular character on the show, testifying to the public acceptance and positive reception of the cross-dressed and likable character. Here is Klinger in some of his ensembles. He certainly, he certainly added color, pattern, and fancy fabrics to the scene. I wanted to get textiles in here. Enlivening an otherwise drab army green world in a forsaken wartime environment. Loretta Swit, who you see here, the main female character on MASH, complained that Klinger, in fact, got all the good clothes. Note, too, that Klinger's outfits are designed to be iconically, if crazily, female. Some items fashionable for the 50s, comporting with the time of the narrative, others seen in popular American movies. Assembling his own outfits from the 20th century Fox wardrobe, Jamie Foxx was actually wearing clothes worn by such movie personalities of the golden era of film as Alice Faye, Carmen Miranda, and even Ginger Rogers. He received a note from Rogers once saying that he looked better in the dress than she did. <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't find that dress. Klinger's fashions were completely feminized in their connection also with such famous female persona as the Wizard of Oz's Dorothy, Scarlett O'Hara, or even the Statue of Liberty. They communicated period values that embedded a clear construction of gender, if one decidedly off-kilter. They also referenced historically repressive moments in American history, if we think of Scarlett. But Klinger wears his costumes over a very obvious male physique. He is not the John Wayne of the Green Berets or the heteronormative ideal of the military man slash hero. Jamie Farr has a much more exotic masculinity. He's of Lebanese descent, which is acknowledged in the program, has a pronounced nose, often set off by the hats, tiaras, and scarves, and very dark hair on his head, arms, chest, and legs. While a transvestite is often read as homosexual, Klinger's matter-of-factness and how he talks about his clothing and wears it reduces that likelihood, or at least confuses it. And Kl Klinger's clothing is funny because it accentuates what's masculine and what's feminine, but mocks both. And he'd often be smoking a cigar. Essential, I believe, is the fact that the character of Klinger did not appear in either the book or the movie MASH. It is entirely an invention of Larry Gelbart and was intended as a one-joke segment. Perhaps Gelbart was drawing on his love of the Jewish comedian Milton Berle, who often appeared in drag on his own TV show. But Gelbart integrated that with a story told by the 60s political comedian Lenny Bruce about how Bruce was discharged from the Navy for dressing up in drag. He dressed up as a, a wave, a female sailor. The introduction of the Klinger character to MASH occurs just at the time when attitudes toward homosexuality were changing in the US. From the Stonewall riots of 1969 to the American Psychiatric Association's decision to declassify homosexuality as a mental disorder in 1973, the US gay and lesbian movement, writes one of its historians, achieved unprecedented mass mobilization and unparalleled social change. In fact, cities such as LA and New York had prohibited cross-dressing on stage because police saw it so clearly as signifying homosexuality. But in New York, the Queens Liberation Front litigated to overturn the city's law against cross-dressing. 
Also at this time, in 1970 and 71, efforts were made to obtain marriage licenses for same-sex cu couples. While unsuccessful, they received <laughs> national publicity. And Jack Baker, one of the litigants in Minneapolis who wanted to marry his gay partner, was actually elected president of the University of Minnesota Student Association with one of his campaign posters, which you see here, featuring Baker wearing high heels. The Gay Liberation Front used the term gay to shift homosexuality away from a psychiatric disorder to an assertion of identity as an oppressed minority. Transvestism then became representative of this new identity, and it's notably many drag queens that battled for their rights during the Stonewall Rebellion in Greenwich Village, New York. Use of the term front, a clearly military one, expressed the gay liberation movement's revolutionary character and its connections to anti-Vietnam War protest. From 1969 on, gays and lesbians also staged protests at television offices and studios in Hollywood, where mass was produced, making them perhaps more sensitive even to these issues. In the mass episode, George, a soldier is beaten up by his fellow troops because they find out he's homosexual. The only other man beaten up in his unit, George tells Hawkeye, is an African-American. Frank Burns, the ridiculously right-wing doctor in MASH, wants to report George as homosexual and have him dishonorably discharged from the army. Despite the fact, as Hawkeye points out, George has received four medals of honor for bravery. Homosexuality proclaims Frank, who you see here in the shaving cream, is un-American because it's morally perverse. In reality, during the early 50s, or the time of the Korean War, the American government fired thousands of employees because they were homosexual, and therefore deemed more likely to be seduced into treason or blackmailed for government secrets. In a humorous <coughs> tirade to this effect, Burns appears with shaving cream over his face, a look that mimics the grotesque of minstrelsy or the white powdered face of the geisha which in either case is calculated to mock everything that Burns is saying about homosexuality. Interestingly, while he himself is shaving or removing his own masculine hair. More apropos cross-dressing is the MASH episode Bulletin Board, in which the 4077 gathered to watch a 1935 Shirley Temple film, The Littlest Rebel, in which Temple dances with Bill Bojangles Robinson, the famous African-American tap dancer. In the movie narrative, Robinson is a former slave on the little girl's family-owned plantation. The politics of Temple's movies were deeply conservative here in nostalgia for pre-Civil War America, as Richard Dyer has discussed. Temple herself was a creation of the 20th Century Fox studio, the studio producing M.A.S.H. While watching the movie, Clinger's on a date, but wears a belted red dress with pumps, a large-brimmed red hat, and carries a purse. Another soldier ridicules Klinger's cross-dressing and takes Klinger's seat. Klinger pushes the soldier. A fight ensues. While the two men brawl, the moving image on screen goes awry, linking the fight over Klinger's persona with the one on screen, the subject on screen. The combination of elements, in particular the Shirley, movie, Shirley Temple movie with its romanticizing of slavery, relates Klinger's denigrated cross-dressing to flagrant racism and societal disorder. Cross-dressing here reifies the lunacy of racism and war. And both the episode George and Bulletin Board have paralleled racism and gay bashing. 
Significantly, Klinger's female date to the movie is wearing her fatigues, and which, like the American public more broadly, accepts Klinger as a heterosexual date, even in his dress. Such acceptance challenges standardized behavior and adherence to nationalist policies and values. Klinger's refusal to wear a uniform projects his desire not to be part of the country, the war his country is fighting, or take on its other prejudices, a rejection of all things Shirley Temple. Temple is further mocked by Hawkeye, who says she's a 42-year-old woman whose mother made her sleep in a short bed and smoke so she wouldn't grow. <laughs> Such disrespect to the famously talented child star, an optimistic symbol of everything America supposedly stands for, perfectly captures the irreverence and disrespect of the mass unit for American policies. It also tells the viewer to beware of appearances, casting Klinger in a different light and unifying his visible sartorial protest to Hawkeye's words. It's also worth noting that many of the other mass unit doctors appear at parties in playfully outlandish costumes. In my recent conversation with Wayne Rogers, he confirmed that wearing his silk brocade smoking jacket and the hat, or Colonel Blake's fishing hat with its pins and decoys and college letter sweater, all expressed a disregard for army discipline and routine. Their desire to be anywhere else than in a war zone, much like the hippies' dress proclaimed a desire to escape the now and the draft by wearing clothing from other cultures and eras. And as for gender awareness, at one of the, the uh, unit's parties, Hawkeye addresses the group as ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between. Klinger's red outfit and bulletin board, for me, recalled the fairy tale Little Red Riding Hood a story which many read as an exploration of boundaries or changing ideas of what it means to be a man or a woman. The wolf in Red Riding Hood is an archetypal cross-dresser, but not because he's viewed as homosexual, but because he dons grandma's clothes in order to seduce and then devour Red Riding Hood. Therefore, Klinger's clothes, <coughs> like the wolf's, mask powerfully aggressive and sexual desires. And, and you see Klinger here looking more angry and confrontational. What sets Klinger apart from other cross-dresses, such as the heterosexual Milton Berle or the homosexual Harvey Firestein, seen here in his garb from Hairspray, is that Klinger wears no makeup. Klinger doesn't seek to totally transform himself into a woman, but only to use female clothing to confuse, dupe, or mystify gendered readings, or what Judith Butler would call imitate the imitations of gender. In a literary critique of Vietnam novels, Evan Carter Carton describes a heterosexual Vietnam vet in the novel In Country as traumatized by the war and having feminine characteristics because he cooks for his niece and sometimes wears a skirt to work around the house. In the novel's text, the uncle specifically relates wearing the, the, the skirt to the character of Klinger on MASH. Carton suggests that the novelist is describing the uncle's struggle to find a unified self after Vietnam through an integration of elements rather than through differentiation. Differentiation between genders, races, and countries sets the tone for domineering power relationships that lead to protest and war. The skirt-wearing uncle in the novel decategorizes gender by performance. Like the drag queens of Stonewall, like the wolf in Red Riding Hood, like Klinger and Mash, men dressed as women can be aggressive, masculine, and feminine, all of which is to be complexly human. Klinger might be read in relation to the gay liberation movement, civil rights, and maybe even women's lib as especially integrated, humane, and sane. 
As the supposed one-joke character on such an immensely popular program as MASH, Klinger was well-received because he offered the public a broadened view of masculinity, like a flower-embroidered military jacket. MASH was successful, surmised Gelbart, because it was multidimensional. Klinger embodied that multiplicity through dress. And keep in mind that he was watched on TV in the wake of televised demonstrations of anti-war protesters, gay protesters, and hippies who also wore clothing to be spectacular or to communicate. In other words, clothing worn to loudly protest an undeclared war. In short, Klinger and the hippies were all dressed to dissent. As Christopher Brewer has written, fashion can be a strong agent for social change. Perhaps the best example of this is Farr's description of how his son played army after watching his father play Klinger and M.A.S.H. Said Farr, my son would put on his mother's bra and say, look, mom, I'm playing army. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>